Father, uh, we, we thank you so much for this beautiful day. We thank you for the of faith that is uh, being shaped here, formed here, molded here into the image of the beloved Father, into the beloved Son of Jesus, um, that we are becoming more like you each and every day, being transformed from glory to glory. Uh, Lord, that we are uh, people who are knowing and living and from who we are, not um, striving for blessing, but living from blessing, living from a place of belovedness. Um, may every man, woman, child um, in this place uh, receive your love today. Um, may you just uh, be afreshed and encouraged with um, how much God loves you, and may that move you to be a people uh, of compassion today. Um, Holy Spirit, would you work in this place? Would you let the meditations of my mind, um, just the things that you've put on my heart come out clearly. Um, and then, um, yeah, would you just uh, speak to us? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Brian. If I don't know you, I'm uh, one of the pastors here. Um, as Bam mentioned, um, our church is in the midst of um, some of our leader, our leadership has been in the midst of a season of discerning some goals, uh, three and a half year goals that is also connected to some seven year goals, um, in which we are going to be talking about uh, a little bit at the all family gathering, and then the next week following, we're gonna we're gonna start a new series um, called "When Church Signs Lie" is what I think I'm gonna call it. Just you guys have seen the church signs? They're kind of annoying sometimes, right? No, am I the only one? You guys love those signs? Okay, anyway. Maybe we'll change the series of the title. The series title. You don't get it. Uh, so we are uh, pressing into these goals, where in the sense where we are going to be talking about um, the fact that like the only our goals are basically that we must be moved by God's power and presence, um, so that we can then in turn be moved to be people of justice and people who exude the hope of Jesus and the gospel to this city. So we're going to unpack that more clearly. Um, we're gonna we're gonna lay out those three goals: being moved by Jesus, uh, God's power and presence, uh, moved to compassion and justice and then move to uh, exude the hope of the gospel. Um, but today, I want to talk to you about compassion. We end this series of giving away the beloved. Uh, this series called Becoming the Beloved. Sorry, this week is on giving away the beloved. Bam talked last week about how we um, cannot give away what we don't have, and that we must receive from God to give away uh, the power of God. So I want to talk more about that today. Um, in the early 90s, uh, there's a was of a very dramatic scene of a movie. Uh, it, was a, it was a movie that would give voice to the African-American community of, of my like, generation. Um, it was one of my favorite movies as a teenager. And this movie captures like the African-American youthfulness and passion, but it also captured um, the sense of uh, tensions of racism and injustice and police brutality and society. And there's a scene... Where it gave so much, this movie gave voice for the first time to an African American community. You know, uh, I think it was Aziz. One time I heard him talk about like how white people. It's always about them, you know. It's like when you finally have a movie that voices like an entire ethnic group's like like reality. It's powerful. Um, and so uh, this powerful movie, um, the two main characters are sitting on the stoop of South Central LA, and they are lamenting. Uh, the things that have happened the day and night before, the drug, the, 
the voices in their community, the injustice they would experience at the hands of police brutality, and the murder even of their own brother uh, just happened the night before. And reflecting on all this dysfunction, reflecting on the rage and the anger, they would lament and say this. Either they don't know, in the hood. And that was young Ice Cube and young Cuba Gooding Jr. in the movie Boys in the Hood. And they would express this lament. And as we talk about compassion today, uh, I wonder if the world's not also looking at the church with all the tensions of racism and systemic injustice in our city and, and the, 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 the dysfunction uh, in our country and the chaos and the division. I wonder if the world doesn't look at the church and see us with um, gathering around our steeples and our, trying to protect our own identity or trying to basically work for the church's vision or goals so we can survive. I wonder if they don't look at all that and go, either they don't know, they don't show, or they don't care about what is happening in our city, in our world. And so today I want to talk to you about what does it mean for us to be a people who unleash compassion? That we would be a community that unleashes compassion towards our city, that we would unleash compassion towards our world, and not be a people that seek to survive for their own sake, that seek to control, seek only the good of their own self. Um, Jesus, in this passage, that's exactly what he does. He says that he went out to all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Literally, he's showing compassion and mercy to the world. He's, he's embodying the character of his father. That's what Jesus is doing. And he's doing this very thing, walking into communities and neighborhoods that are infested with dysfunction, infested with injustice. And that's this model. I feel like sometimes the church has lost the model of Jesus, right? Uh, I think we've lost the model of Jesus. And I think as we've been talking about this series, we've been talking about these scripts that come to play in our lives. And um, is this cutting in and out? Yeah. Should I just grab another mic? Let's get back here. I feel so far away from you. <laughs> All right. If you could cut this one out, I'll use this one. Is this better? Back. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, we've been talking about these different scripts and um, that you are what you do. You are what you have. You are what others say about you. And underneath all these scripts is a script that we play in America that I call the winner script, right? If you think about America, as we're seeking, as our country is seeking to make America great again, apparently, it's a joke. <laughs> um, we have this winner. I mean, just think about what we say in America when someone does amazing. He crushed it, right? He, he crushed it. Oh, they're killing it. We use this kind of language, right? Like this language of the sense that we are winners, we are strong, we are American. It's this winner script that we get into our system that's, that's and, and I've been thinking about this, that like if you really think about the American church and the American Jesus, um, it's totally different from what you see with the biblical Jesus and biblical gospel. Um, the, American, uh, the American Jesus um, it goes a little something like this. I kind of, um, I'm going to do it like in a trailer voice of a, sh of a movie, okay? You guys ready? Is that okay? Okay. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He lived in a land when going to the temple about his father's business. 
When he grew older, he was a carpenter and made craft artisan wood so he could show that he was relatable to all kinds of people in Logan Square and society beyond. He grew older, and then he began to have followers, and everyone loved him, and he loved everybody. And he told Pilate what is truth. He was a philosopher. He was a poet. He died. He rose again victorious. He's going to heaven, and he's going to ascend. And then after all that, the voice of the Father said, this is my beloved son, and he is well pleased with him now. And all of his disciples said, heck yes, he is. We're going to take over the world. That's the American gospel. Now, sorry, I didn't need to get have my my first uh, comedic moment here as a pastor. Um, contrast that with the biblical gospel. Jesus spent thirty years in obscurity. Didn't start his ministry at all. Wrestled with Satan, God, and his own self as a human being, but yet fully God. And out of that wrestle, he got baptized. And he heard the voice of his father said, you're my beloved son. I'm well pleased with you. Before you even do anything, I'm already pleased with you. And he grabs a ragtag group of disciples. He hangs out with depraved politicians, prostitutes, tax collectors, and sinners. Eats and dines with them. Is accused of being a drunken and a glutton and blaspheming the God. And yet somehow these, he goes to his death. He dies on the cross. His entire group of his disciples flee and leave him. He raises again from the dead. And he never wrote a book. He didn't have an empire. He never even had a home. And now he's had strength from this weakness. And it's all because he is already pleased with the Father. That's the biblical gospel in contrast. And so when was he blessed? When was Jesus blessed? It was before he did anything, right? It was, it was before, it, it was not at the end, but at the start, that he lived from blessing, not for blessing. He had the approval of his father's love. He had everything, so he had everything to give away. And so he gave his life away because he was blessed by the father. And so which gospel are you living from? Um, think of it also in terms of two lenses of strength and weakness, the winter script people are, are, are people of that exude strength. That like we came to God and we got God and therefore we are strong and we are courageous and we are bold. And, and if you want, and, and, and as a result, that kind of church inevitably will be a church that says you must come to us. Because we came, we, we made our own effort to God, therefore you need to come to us. We're not going to go out and show compassion on the world. You come to us and you do what we do. Come work out with us. Do doctrinal pull-ups. Come and bring spiritual fervor stretches and self-righteous work out, right? That's, that's kind of a, you come and do and be strong with us. Contrast that with community of weakness, which is what Jesus, who God is, took on flesh. He became a baby. He became an infant. He dwelt among us. He showed compassion. He had a sense of, 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 of full um, immersion into the human experience. So we, we don't come to God as a move of strength. We come to God out of a move of weakness. That's what the AA step says, that first of all, that your life is unmanageable, that I need help. God, I need help. Would you meet me? Would you move in me? I'm weak. I need your strength. 
And then out of God's weakness, he becomes strength. Out of the cross, out of that weakness, he shows his strength and then raises victorious. So um, the first thing I want to say today is that before we even start talking about compassion, God moved towards us first. That was the first point I want to make, that before we start talking a lot about compassion today, that we need to be people who give compassion. Otherwise, you'll just try to... Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and give something you don't have. But you must first be moved by God and see that God moves towards you. That in order for you to give away compassion, you first have to receive compassion yourself. Um, This is who God is. He's a compassionate God. The very first time that God discloses himself to anybody is Moses. And if you think about who Moses is, Moses was under Pharaoh's regime, and he, out of anger, killed someone, ran away, went into obscurity, became a shepherd, and God speaks to him in burning bush, and what does he say? Moses, how dare you kill someone? I'm God. Listen to me. That's what he said. Does anybody remember that? Um, He goes, you see that burning bush? He goes, who are you, God? And he goes, I am who I am. He never once mentions ever brings up to the fact that Moses killed someone. Did you ever notice that? God never brings that up to Moses. And Moses lives his life, begins to free the people from Egypt. God uses them. And then he says, God, show me your glory. And God says, okay, I can't show you my face, but let me tell you who I am. And this is the first time God ever discloses who he is. He says, I'm the compassionate one. The very first word that God uses to describe himself is the word compassionate. He says, I'm compassionate, slow to anger, gracious, merciful, right? So God, we must first see that, um, that this, that compassion comes from God. We have to see compassion comes from God, or else you'll just try to give compassion from your own vantage point. Um, and so uh, God is not finicky. He's filled with compassion and grace. In uh, in Psalm 1, we have a couple of uh, verses here from the Old Testament that show us the same word compassion, uh, where he uses it in Exodus. And uh, it says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows that we are made of, remembering that we, made from dust, remembering that we are dust. Um, so God has this sense that he's a, he says that he's a father who shows compassion. He knows that you're dust. Um, by the way, um, compassion is not something that is given, it's given as a community among equals. Um, whenever you have the, the winter script kind of community, you have healers and those who need healing. You have leaders and those who need leading. W- the God of, of compassion says that you are all in need of healing. You are a, a community of equals, and you give to each other as you need together. You are all in need of God's compassion. It's not a sense of a higher. The Winter Script story says, no, there is a hierarchy here, and there's some people who have the stuff and you as the recipients who need it. But no, the community of recipients of grace says, no, we all are in need of that. And so can a woman forget, again, so God's a, God's a father, he's a mother. Um, picture of this God being this mother of compassion. Can a woman forget her nursing child or lack compassion on the child she has born? Um, my wife uh, does um, some dueling, she does some birth coaching, and I can't imagine her just like seeing the baby come out and, and, and being born and being like, you know what, um, you just go do this and, and we're just going to let this baby scream over here. Uh, you just forget about that. You just did your work, so you go on, Mom. You just go do your thing. No, how could a mo- how could a woman do that? 
How could, she has compassion on the child she's just born. That's the way God sees you, though she may forget. He's like, there are some women who may forget. But I will never forget you, says God. I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. God will not forget you. He has compassion upon you. And so compassion is the foundation of who God is. And so this is what I want to let you know. The, your compassion is a direct result of how you see your father, how you see your God, how you see God. Your compassion that you give is a directly corresponding to how you see your God. Again, is it the winter script? It's focused on power dynamic relationships? Or is it the community that is a recipient of God's compassion? That we are a community of recipients of God's compassion. That we are recipients of his grace. Um, and so only when we know our own darkness well can we be present with the darkness in others. Only until we can know, um, uh, compassion becomes real when we recognize our shared humanity. That's why God says, I have compassion on you because I know you're dust. And until we remember we are all just dust, you cannot have compassion on the other. But we are dust that God's spirit has been breathed into. We are dust that God's Holy Spirit has been, you have God's presence on you. You are made in the image of God, every single one of you. And we can have this shared compassion. Jesus' motivation in this this passage we read in Matthew 9, he has just done a ton of healing. Um, And this is like a summary statement at the end of Matthew 9 of his ministry. There's a lot of tension between religious leaders that are corrupt at that time. And he he says he's moved with such compassion. What's his motivation? It says two things. One, it says that they are scattered and weary. He sees the people's needs. Number two, it says they are sheep without a shepherd. They are without good leadership. The high priest is gone. There's corrupt leadership. They have no godly leaders, and he is moved with compassion on the people. And then the next passage in Matthew 10, what happens is he creates some systems to begin to show compassion on these people. He sends out the 72 disciples. And says, go to them, go be with them, do ministry with them. And they come back and report how it goes in Luke's version. And look at this. What does Luke say? It says this. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Do you see that? Rejoice in what? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you're the beloved. Rejoice that you're the one who has received compassion. And so what these disciples go out and do is they're so focused on the spiritual results. They're so focused on the spiritual fervor that they're almost blinded by it. And, he, and they're so focused on the actual power of God and not the people. Like, so they, so this one, imagine this demonic spirit was in this woman and they freed her. And she was cutting herself, and she was going to commit suicide, and now she's free, and now she's worshiping God and, and completely whole, and her health mentally and emotionally and spiritually is restored. They don't come back with that story. They go, we had power to cast out demons. And Jesus says, guys, I saw the eternal war happen. Satan fell from the sky. I've seen much greater, and am I going around talking about that? No, I'm going around seeing people. I'm seeing people's needs. And so what Jesus is showing them is these people are so much more important than the power that you're just consumed with. He's saying this power was meant to love these people, to show compassion to these people. So that's Jesus' motivation. motivation. So we are people that have been so moved by God, compassion for people is inevitable. 
So we don't invite people into strength, but into weakness. We're driven by compassion. And so we, it is when we are moved by God that we can then be moved for God. Um, compassion has to come from God. And so the winter script is this kind of, um, the winter script is moved by compassion because once a year you feel some warm fuzzies on the inside and you feel really guilty for all the things you own and you have so much that you're like, I should probably do something good. That's the winter script. The winter script, yeah, like I, feel, I felt some emotion, so I'm going to do something. But the community of God, it's because the character of God's impacted your life so much that you do something. And so we've got to be moved for God with compassion. Jesus looks and says, as I walk on these streets, I see this as a function. And what does it say? It says in the passage, go to the next slide. It says that he saw the multitudes. He saw the multitudes. So the first thing we have to do is we have to have eyes to see, church. We have to have eyes to see the way Jesus sees. This word see, and there's two words that, are often used in the New Testament for seed. The first one is the word blepo. I, I blepo you. I blepo all of you right now. I blepo you parents. Bless you in the back with the kids. I blep you, Bam and Peter, for standing up the whole sermon. Thank you. Um, I blepo you. Um, and then there's another word. Um, go to this next slide. Um, there's this word, ido. You know, go back to that slide. Yeah. In, in Matthew 13, here's an example. It says, in them, in them, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever blepoing, but never idoing. This word ido is this word that I see into you. I see into you. Jesus saw the crowds and he saw into them. He had this sense of empathy with them. He saw the suffering. Compassion is just this word that means to suffer with. To suffer with. That he got in the pit. He came in and he saw their brokenness and their needs. He suffered with every single one of you right now. Some of you are going through a tragic season of life right now. God is not distant from you. He is suffering right beside you, and he is suffering with you because he is a God of compassion. Amen? He's a God of compassion. And so it's amazing how we can become so numb. We are consumed with our thing, with our day, with our agenda that we forget to see the other. And the biggest danger of Christianity is this. The biggest danger of Christianity is it becomes a privatized, institutionalized reality. That it becomes this sense that it's for our life. It's for our family. You're like, I don't think that, Brian. No. Listen to the, what we pray pray for ourselves. we pray for our family, we pray for our kids, right? So we, we get this, this, this concept that in us, through this winter strip, that you are an only child in the kingdom of God. You are an only child in individual isolation trying to do this thing with God, and you have privatized the faith. You have institutionalized, and so the kingdom of God is not your the kingdom of God is our. It is our. It is about us. It is about the community of recipients of compassion, the community of the weak that experience God's power and his Holy Spirit to raise us up, to meet us in our weakness, and to let us live victorious with him so we can be transformed into his image. And so we, as this community of people, we must 
removed that we've the church has been so focused on trying to get everybody saved that we've made Jesus into a personal savior. So it's all about my personal savior, my personal savior. And then it's all about us and we can become calloused to the needs of God's children all around us. Become calloused to the brokenness in our city. But God is not your private father. He's our father. Right? That's the prayer. Our father. This family is big, and it's got people who don't look like you, don't vote like you, don't, don't talk like you, don't smell like you. It's got a lot of different people in this big family. A lot of people in this big family. And if you don't, that's why it's so important to get the character of God is where you get compassion. Because if you don't, if you try to muster up compassion because you are a winner and you get it from your strength, what's going to happen? You're going to be compassionate about those who are in your own sphere of influence. You're going to be compassionate to those who are in, they are just like you, that dress like you, that listen to the same music as you, that live next to you. And you can go to someone and say, you know, I, I understand your story. I can see, um, I can relate to you. I can see where you landed, where you are. And I don't understand these other people and how they got in that situation. But you, I can understand that. So I will disseminate compassion upon you. How dare us? Oh, my goodness. How dare we be the ones who give conditions to God's compassion? Who are we to put conditions on God's compassion? And we begin to politicize or, or begin to put our own tribes around who we bestow compassion upon. But the big power of Christianity is this. Jesus gave his compassion to his enemies. That's the whole point of compassion, that he loved those. He forgave those who were killing him on the cross. On the cross, he was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's the radical nature of the community of recipients of God's compassion. And so, compassion's got to start with God. He's the one who dictates the, dictates the terms of compassion, not us. And the terms are pretty broad and massive. <laughs> That's good news, right? You guys with me? All right, cool. Just want to make sure. Hitting too close to home? It hit me home, too. I promise I'm with you. I'm with you on this. I'm a, I love Eugene Peterson. He says the church is not a hospital. I mean, a community. Um, it's not a. It's not a museum of saints. It's a community of sinners, and one of those sinners is called to be the pastor. All right. So I'm with you in this. Uh, if we're not careful, we will dictate these terms of compassion. And so it's amazing. Isn't it amazing when someone sees you, like for real, sees you? It's the best thing in the world. What people need is not you to fix them. It's not for you to give. I was even meeting with a couple of guys this week, and I was thinking about this sermon afterwards. It's like I totally moved into coach mode. I didn't even see. I was like, let me tell you what you could do. That doesn't, do you feel loved when people do that? No. You feel loved when people see you. When people see you, and they go, you know what? I, 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 know, I don't know what you're going through, but that's got to be horrible. And when people see you with that kind of compassion, this is not a message for us just to go do a bunch of compassion projects. It's for you to be people that exude compassion when you leave here. For you to be people of compassion no matter who you meet. That you, Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted a lot. That happened, it was so funny to me because I was like nervous about this message because I found out Thursday I was teaching. And so I was looking over my notes, I had to do it, and then there were some people here cleaning in the building and we talked about tattoos for like 30 minutes. And I was like, okay God, you're trying to teach me that, uh, yeah, you're always inter interruptible. 
and I need to exude compassion. We, we, Jesus was interrupted. He allowed himself to be interrupted by people. And you think your job description is really hard? Look at Jesus's. It's way more difficult to be the savior of the world than you. Believe me, okay? Not, don't believe me because I don't know, but just trust me on the scriptures on that one. Jesus had so much compassion, and he was moved with compassion. This word, um, it says that he was moved with compassion. And so uh, he had time to be interrupted. Um, we are just so distracted people, are we not? We are so self-consumed. Um, one of the most um, challenging emotions that I feel as a parent are these moments where I might be on my phone in my house, and I have this weird ability to block out everything, and my wife doesn't, so she's like, I wish I had that. But I can just block out everything around me, and my kids will be saying things, and I just don't hear them at all. And there's this, these moments that happen every once in a while where I'll be on my phone, and my little boy Jude will grab my face, and he'll turn it to him and say, Dad, 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 Dad. And he's looking straight at me, and he turns me away from my phone and onto his eyes. And what he's saying at that moment is his Daddy, Daddy, no phone, just eyes. No phone, just eyes. There's someone in your eyesight today. There's someone in your eye line that God is saying, I want you to exude compassion upon them. 